Gracious God, we want to thank you that uh, you allow us to be here this morning. Uh, we want to thank you that um, regardless of all the other things that are going on in our lives, that we get to be at peace and to enter into your rest now. So as we open up your holy word, as we look for a word of hope, a word of encouragement, a word of truth, we pray that you would open our hearts to this and that you would clear all of the distractions in our minds and that you would help us to be fully present, aware, and open to your truth this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, I want to I share a word or a word of introduction for this sermon. I'm going to read a few things here, and then uh, you're going to identify yourself. You don't have to raise your hands. I just want you to kind of listen to this. And uh, you'll determine who you are of the next four people that I'm about to read about at the end of the church, at the end of the service. So with this morning's teaching, some of you will have a difficult time listening to what I say this morning. Okay, so some of you will have a difficult time. Many of you will say that whatever I'm about to preach about, and as I'm preaching through this, you're going to say, well, that sounds too good to be true. Others of you will say that whatever I am saying or however I am teaching this isn't really the way things are in the world in 2013. But there will be a few of you for whose for whom today's message will be exactly the message you needed to hear and the message that you know is truth in the depths of your soul. So with that said, I'm going to get started, and, um, and I want you to be able to identify yourself at the end of this. And if you find yourself in any one of the groups, except for the part that, except for the very last group where I say that you will, it'll change your life and you will find this to be a word of refreshment and of hope, if you're in any of those other groups, um, we will have a special prayer for you at the end of this. So I'll begin with making a categorical and emphatic statement about faith. And that is that every one of you has faith. Not just every one of you as Christians or as Seventh-day Adventists, but every single person who is living, who is moving, and who is breathing has faith. The atheist also has faith. Now, they may not necessarily believe in God, or they may not necessarily believe in Jesus or, or have any sort of religion, but even the way that they see the world and even the way they understand things requires some sort of faith. Now, it may not be in God, but their faith may very well be in their own understanding of how things are, in their own morality, in their own ethics. But everybody has, has faith and puts their faith in something. For those of us who are here this morning, I believe that we have chosen to put our faith in God and the one who creates all things and moves all things. The Bible says we move and live and breathe and have our being in God. So most of us will choose to put our faith in God, but others will put their faith in their own understanding and in their way that they understand and see the world. Now, there's one preacher that has been really been challenging me a lot in the last, I would say, month and a half. His name is Timothy Keller. He is not Seventh-day Adventist. He is a Presbyterian, but I've been listening to his sermons, and he's really been challenging me. But one of the things that he says is that all doubts, talking about people who don't believe in God or people who are, have all sorts of doubts about God's existence, he says, all doubts, however skeptical and cynical they may seem, are really just a set of alternate beliefs. So we have faith in something. We all have a set of beliefs. They're not all necessarily congruous with the word of God. But everyone has faith because faith is an integral part of who we are as people. Faith permeates through our entire being. So if you don't believe me, I want to share with you a few examples. We have faith that when we take a breath, we will actually breathe in air, right? And we don't think about it, 
unless we unless there's no air to breathe but we have faith that the way our bodies are made are going to work in such a way that when we need to take a breath we will actually be able to breathe we have faith that when we pump the brakes in our car that it will actually stop we have faith that when we get out of bed in the morning and we take that first step, we have faith that our legs will actually work the way they're intended to work and they will get us from our bedroom to our bathroom or kitchen or study, wherever it is that our that wherever we go in the morning, correct? And you probably have never thought about that, have you? But the truth is, is that built into who and how we are, we have put faith in all sorts of things and in, and in, and in all sorts of processes we also have faith that the Taco Bell employee isn't going to lick the taco shells before they make our tacos. Some of you see this in the news this week. This is a Taco Bell employee um, licking the taco shells um, at an actual Taco Bell. And so you're welcome. <laughs> so last time I go to Taco Bell. <laughs> we have faith that when people serve us food, it's actually going to be clean, unless, of course, we go to an establishment that's rated anything lower than an A, correct? We saw one of those before. We didn't go in. <laughs> we have faith. It's a part of who we are, and it's how we were built, and it's how we are made, and we all put our faith in something or in someone. And who and what we put our faith in determines how our life will be lived. So there's two questions that I hope to answer this morning. Now, just to give you, uh, just to get your mind ready for this, I made sure that I asked for extra time this morning, so we may not need it, but this is a teaching that is essential and must be central to your life as a Christian and as a person of faith. So there's two questions that I want to try to answer this morning. The first one is, what is faith and how do we activate it? Question number one, what is faith? And question number two, how do we activate faith? How many of you want to know the answers to some of this? I do. So, I want to give you a couple of definitions first. Faith is a strong or an unshakable belief in something, especially without proof or evidence of it. So, faith is a strong or unshakable belief in something, especially when you don't have proof that that thing exists. Or another definition is a belief that does not rest on logical proof or material evidence. So, what it's saying is faith is not, we have no empirical evidence or data to prove it, we just believe something. Now, these definitions just come from the same place you get all of your information, which is Google. <laughs> I just typed it in. What is faith? And these are some of the answers that came back. But for me, this answer isn't enough because I'm already a skeptic to begin with, right? I like having data and empirical evidence to be able to make certain decisions in my life. But these definitions are basically saying, hey, faith, you can't prove it. You can't prove it exists. There's nothing to show you any kind of hard evidence or data. It's, it's, it's almost like faith is just one of those things you hope for in your mind. But that's not enough for me. Is it enough for you? I want to give you a biblical definition for what faith is. Can we go with that? And here's what it is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says that faith is the substance of the things hoped for. And it is the conviction of the things not seen. Faith is, from the Greek word, the hypostasis. It is the substance. It is the realness. It is the thing that is actual and real and there in front of us. So faith is the realness. Another way of saying it, faith is the realness of the things hoped for. And I have that up here for you just so you can see it. Faith is the realness of the things hoped for. 
Another way that we could say it is that faith is the fulfillment of that thing in which you hope for. You see, these, these definitions that we find on, online or on the, in dictionaries is that faith is something that can't be proven. It can't be, you can't have empirical data to show that it exists. Faith is almost like wishful thinking. But what the scripture teaches us about faith is that faith is the substance of the things hoped for. Faith is the conviction of the things that we cannot see. Faith is the certainty and the promise of the things that you hope for. That's something to be happy about. But if you're like me, the question that arises from this statement, right, the statement of truth, is, but what about the times I don't get what I hoped for? If me believing that something will happen is what the Bible teaches me, but that thing doesn't happen, well, what about that? Then is God wrong, or am I missing something in all of this? So I have two answers for you. I truly believe, and I put my faith in the God of the Bible, and I believe that faith is the substance, is the realness of the things that we hope for, okay? I believe that to be true. But the answer to, but what about when those things don't come true, is this. There are no pat answers for why things don't happen the way we want them to. There is no one answer. There is no one one size fits all answer for why things don't happen the way we want them to. There is no pat answer for why do bad things happen when we're trying to be faithful to God. There is no there's no answer that will fit everyone's everyone's dilemma. So number one, and number two is that there is a difference between hoping for things that we just want for ourselves, and then hoping in something that will bring honor and glory to God. Let me say that one more time. There is a difference between hoping in something that I want. I want to win the lottery, right? The 570 million, whatever, jackpot lottery that some 84-year-old lady just won. Okay, there's a difference between hoping and wanting to be rich and having the nicest house and having everything and having, you know, whatever, the most beautiful wife, the most beautiful husband, whatever it is you're hoping for, there's a difference between just wanting to satiate your craving because it's something you want and then hoping and desiring something that will bring honor and glory to God. Now, for some of you, you're just like, well, see, I want, I want my faith to make a difference in my life because I'm going through this or I'm going through these kinds of things or you have no idea what I'm going through, Pastor. I need God to answer this. And so my answer for that would be, and, and this is a statement of faith, okay? That if whatever you're going through can be used for the honor and glory of God, whatever that is, however painful it may be, God will ultimately come through for you. Not sure how, not sure how long you have to wait. There's a, there's a story, oh, I'll, I'll share the story. There's a story in scripture um, that I shared with the elders this morning. And the story is that Paul is on a ship and, and an angel of the Lord comes to Paul and he says, your ship's going to go down. You're going to sink. The ship's going to be wrecked. He says, but I will not only keep you safe, I will keep everybody on this ship safe as well. So Paul comes to his crew, the crew that he's with and he tells them, hey, this ship is going to be wrecked. It's shipwrecked. We're gonna, it's going to go down. But the God that I believe in has told me that he will keep all of us safe. And I have faith that that is true. And the story will go on to tell us that they do get to land safely. The, the ship goes down, but they all get to ground safely. That is the Christian experience. Your ship may be sinking as I speak, but God will carry you through even the worst of shipwrecks. 
So let's continue. That wasn't in my notes, so let's continue. <laughs> Another way that this word substance or hypostasis is, is translated in the Greek or into the English is that faith is the assurance of the things you hope for. So what does assurance mean? It means that you can have a certainty. There is a, a certain level of insurance or certainty that this thing that you are hoping for, and again, we insert if it's going to bring honor and glory to God, if it's going to bring goodness and blessing to others, if these things you're hoping for are doing all of that, that there is an assurance that God will come through and he will not leave you stranded or alone. But we live in a world where we lack faith. Even as Christians, your faith wanes, doesn't it? Our faith sometimes is at a minimum. If we could measure our faith like we measure the gas tanks in our cars, for many people, faith is always running on red. Because we live in a world where people let us down, where things don't work out the way that they were supposed to when they started. Because we live in a world where if we put our hope or our faith in people or things, we will always be let down. And so we kind of have this kind of negative outlook on life, where even as Christians, we see death, disease, turbulence all around us. We say, well, I have faith in Jesus, but to be, to be completely honest, it's at a very low level. Yet the scripture is filled, filled with stories of what happens when people have faith and people believe. Now, here is where some of you, in just a few moments, are going to say, I like what the Bible says, but that's not how things work anymore. Or I like those scripture readings, and I'll, and I'll probably underline them in my Bible, but they don't work for me because you don't know what I'm going through. So I'm going to read a couple of passages here. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. How many of you have found yourself in situations and you just want to get to the end of this so that you can feel better already? I've been there. But what does, what does Paul say? He says, look, if we're hoping for something that is seen, there's no hope. You just go and you get it. Sometimes we know that whatever tribulation or trial we're going through, this will not be the end of us. This ship may go down, but it will not drown me. And Paul says, we hope in what is not seen. Because hoping in what's there in front of us, there's no hope needed. You just do what you're supposed to. But instead, if we hope in something, if our hope is in Christ, then we know that we can wait patiently no matter how long the waiting is. Next passage. Paul says, we walk by faith, not by sight. But what we see in Hebrews is that faith in many ways is actually seen for reals. Hope and faith, rather faith, not hope, but faith is a substance. It's the assurance of the things we hope for. So in faith, we are given new eyes to see and new ways of living in this world. We look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Our faith is in the one whom we really can't see. But we know that God is eternal and his purposes are eternal and that the one who has the power to live outside of space and time is the one who is helping us. We walk by faith in the assurance 
that the one in whom we put our hope in, the one who is eternal, will not leave us alone and will not allow us to drown, but rather will carry us to shore safely. Is that a good promise? So, part one. Now we're getting into part two. How do we activate our faith? So I want to look at a scripture. Here's a story in Matthew 8. When Jesus had come down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and there was a leper who came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. So Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I do choose, be made clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. So I want to ask you this question. Anytime we come to the scriptures, it has to ask pointed questions back to us, all right? If you're just reading the Bible as a piece of literature, you may not get as much out of it as you could. But if you come to the scripture and you let it ask these very pointed questions, like one I'm about to ask, it will actually begin to change your life. So here's this. How many of you have put your situations in the hands of Jesus? Or rather, a better question to say is, how many of you have ever uttered the words, Lord, if you choose, you can help me with, and you fill in the blank. How many of you have ever put it in God's hands and said, God, this is my situation, and I know it's impossible for me to fix. It's beyond repair. All hope is lost. It's scary. It's causing me more anxiety than I've ever experienced in my life. There is so much uncertainty. We've prayed that prayer, but how many of you have followed it with, but Lord, if you choose, you can fix this. See, we don't do very well with leaving our situations in the hands of God. Because even though we know that we can have faith in God and God is faithful, it's hard for us because we don't really see God and God doesn't necessarily tell us what to do. Or God doesn't tell us, hey, this is how it's going to work out. So, you know, three months from now, that's when I'm going to answer this prayer that you've been praying. Right? God doesn't do, if he did, life would be so much easier, wouldn't it? Like three months, okay, I could handle three months. Or I could handle three years. Or I could handle whatever, whatever amount of time. But God doesn't work, work like that. But instead, we walk by faith. And if we hope in God, what does the Bible say? As we just read a few minutes ago, that we can wait patiently because we know that our, hand, that our life is in the hands of a God who can do the miraculous. God can choose to heal your sickness. God can choose to change your heart or your attitude. God can choose to heal your marriage. God can choose to take away an addiction. God can choose to help change your attitude. But I think too many times we don't say, Jesus, if you choose. Because that's scary. Because what if Jesus' answer is, I don't choose? Is that up to him? Ultimately, it is. Look, I'm telling you, this is, this is a powerful message. Because I never say, Lord, if you choose. I say, God, this is what I need. This is what's happening, and this is what I need. But what I've learned, and, and this has been something I've been wrestling with for a couple of months now, all right, like this passage that we're going through today, is I'm not very good at putting it in the hands of Jesus because, A, I'm afraid that it may not be what I want, or I'm afraid that whatever it is that God chooses may be more painful than I want to experience, or that it'll be more humbling than I want to experience, and I don't want to feel humbled. 
But as Christians, we're not very good at putting our fate in the hands of Jesus. We still try to do everything, and at times, I mean, at times, we should try to do things for ourselves, but so many times we try to take the, the, the power out of the hands of God and we say, we'll take care of this. But it's scary. Now, if you tell me, like, see, that's, that's why Christianity is so hard. I want to show you that God and Jesus doesn't just teach us this, but Jesus actually lived this, all right? So he, what is, what is that expression? He put his money where his mouth is. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he is arrested, the day before he is crucified, Jesus is wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup, and that's just a metaphorical way of saying, or a metaphoric way of saying, um, if there's any other way that we could save all of humanity without me dying, let's do that. Because Jesus was still human, and he knew what was coming. So he says, Father, if there's any other way to let this cup or let this event pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So Jesus says, God, the God of last minutes sometimes, right? God shows up at the very last minute sometimes. He says, God, Father, Dad, Daddy, if there's any other way for this to happen, please do so now. But not what I want, but what you want. See, Jesus doesn't just teach us things and then let us figure it out on our own. Jesus actually modeled one of the most difficult things for us to do is, Lord, if you choose, God, if you choose. And I believe that if it will bring honor and glory to God, God will almost always choose. But yet what we find in the story of Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he is arrested, the worst possible outcome for him is what ends up happening. He is crucified. And he dies. I'm not saying God's going to kill you. It's very different, right, for Jesus. It's the salvation of all the world on his death on that cross. But sometimes the things that we go through may feel like an excruciatingly painful death. But after death, there is always, always resurrection. After death, God always gives new life. And we know that because God raises Jesus from the death from the death yeah from death I can tell you why we don't like to put our faith in the hands of Jesus because we are afraid that what God allows us to go through might be painful as I said before we are afraid of being humbled and that it will hurt we're afraid of what others might think of what we're going through these are all bad attitudes because for Jesus he just says whatever your will is I will I will follow even if it's painful next story Then suddenly a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years came up behind him, Jesus, and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she said to herself, if I can, if I only touch his cloak, then I will be made well. She didn't say if I have an audience with Jesus. She doesn't say if I, if Jesus will just look at me and look at my situation. She doesn't say any of that. She just says, I know that there is power in this man and that if I even just touch a cloak, just a piece, if I just, in essence for today is if I just open my heart a little bit to God, I know that he can make me well or he can make my situation well. And Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. What is it that makes her well? What is it? Faith. This is a hard teaching. You know why? 
because for the last seven years that I've been a pastor, or six and a half years that I've been a pastor, um, I've always said that God's mind cannot be changed, that God's will is already determined in the sense of God always wants the very best for us. And yet what we find just right here in black and white, Jesus, God, says, Woman, your faith has made you well. Jesus doesn't say, My grace and my goodness and my benevolence has made you well. Jesus doesn't say it's my power that has made you well. What is Jesus? What are the words that Jesus chooses to say? It is your faith has made you well. That's good news. Because if your faith, the assurance that something will happen is what will make something happen, then Jesus puts the ball in your court. I know this is not a popular teaching. There are times where I say God's will cannot be changed, and yet Jesus, and I forget which chapter in the book of Matthew, he says, it's a story of a man who goes to his best friend's house in the middle of the night, and he says, come out, come out, come out. I need some food to feed people that have come to visit me. And he keeps bugging him and bugging him and bugging him, and the guy's like, ah, okay, fine, here. Take it and go. Leave me alone. Let me go back to bed. And what does Jesus say? He says, if, he says, if a man, an evil man, will do that for his friend, God will do that for you. Right? Do you grasp the gravity of this? That your prayers and your faith somehow, some way affect the way God makes decisions. I know some of you are like, that's not, that's not biblical. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Your faith matters to Jesus. Your faith can make you well. Your faith can heal you. Now, some of you are like, but you don't know my situation. No, I don't. But this woman was bleeding for 12 years. An impossible situation. She was going to die this way. There was nothing that could be done. No doctor could do anything. No medicine could save it at the time. And she comes to Jesus and he says, your faith has made you well. How many of you want to have that kind of faith? Instantly, she was made well. Next story. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, crying loudly, Have mercy on us, son of David, which is the title they gave to Jesus. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. Now I'm going to say something that I probably have never said before. Your faith will determine what God does for you. Your amount of belief that God can do things. So many of you are in situations right now that you say, no, not even God can fix this. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Because if Jesus, I mean, if God raises Jesus from the dead, the impossible task of coming back to life after three days or on the third day. Okay, we can we can bring someone back to life after I don't know how many minutes. I don't know the science or the medical understanding behind that, but we see it on television shows, we hear about it in real life, right? You know, you get those what are those, those defibrillators? Is that what they're I don't know what they're called. <laughs> but you know, you see it and they and they shock them back to life, right? We've seen that. Right? We've seen lifeguards bring people back to life after a couple of seconds, maybe a couple of minutes. I don't know. But to bring someone back to life on, after 
three days. That's impossible. That, it, that doesn't happen. And yet God chooses to work in a very impossible way. So whatever circumstance you may be in, God says, look, I've already, I've already proven that I can do impossible things. If you have just a little bit of faith, if you just come to Jesus with just a little bit of an open heart and say, God, if you choose, this is how you activate. This is how you activate your faith, this kind of faith. You say that prayer, God, if you choose. Yes, Lord, I do believe that you can do this. Yes, Lord, I know if I just touch your cloak, if I'm just exposed to you a little bit, yes, Lord, I believe that the impossible can happen. Do you believe that I am able to do this. I think if we're honest with ourselves, with the situations that we face ourselves, uh, we face that we are faced with, rather, that so many times our answer is, I don't really believe you can. I have nothing against you, Jesus. I know you're awesome. God, I know you're all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything. And God, we know all that, and we sing songs about that, and we understand that intellectually. But Lord, I really don't believe that you can actually fix this because it's pretty bad. You find yourself there, and I don't have this passage on the screen. There's another story where Jesus um, is healing again, <laughs> doing impossible things, and, and the man that Jesus is talking to, Jesus says, do you believe? And he says, yes, I believe, I believe, because Jesus says, if you just believe, I can heal your son or daughter. I can't remember, sorry, bad pastoral moment. But Jesus says, if you just believe, and, and the man responds with, yes, Lord, I believe, but can you help my unbelief? And I could just imagine, you know, we, we get in the midst of this moment and we know and we're filled with the spirit or we're filled with, with this positive and optimistic look and, and we say, yes, Lord, I believe, I know you can. But then that bottom part of our heart says, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you will. The prayer and how you activate it is, Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Help me because I don't know if I really, really, really believe see, what it comes down to is your faith. And what we have discovered is, is what I'm going to share with you here now. Where Jesus says, For truly I tell you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What will be impossible? What will be impossible? Nothing. Nothing nothing, nothing will be impossible for you. Now, some of you, one of the groups that I mentioned in the beginning, are saying, that sounds too good to be true. Or, Pastor, that's not the way the world works these days. Maybe. But we all put our faith in something or someone. And so you making that kind of a statement, that that's not the way the world works, you're putting faith in a certain worldview. Quite frankly, a worldview that is that is probably very pessimistic and you probably find yourself being sad all the time and anxious and afraid the Bible says that we are more than conquerors your ship may be wrecked and it may be painful and scary but if you have faith and you believe the one who promises all these things God will get you through it and get you to shore safely. 
So some of you might be asking, I don't know what a mustard seed is. I just know what mustard is that I put on my hot dogs. So I'm going to show you. Look at what what is that's a penny. Look at the size of one mustard seed next to that penny. Tiny, tiny, tiny. I just touch his cloak. I do believe, help me, because I really don't believe Jesus. These are the words of Scripture and of God. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, maybe not today, maybe tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now, God will, will help you and fix you. And I, would, and I would like to say that as a church, as the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church, that we would champion this teaching and say that the God who is powerful, all-knowing, all-everything, can also be that for our church as we witness and minister, not just to people outside, but to those of us who are here within the church as well. May you learn to live into the real presence and the truth of this message because this message for the handful of you who will choose to accept it can actually change your life. Your faith has made you well and immediately she was cleansed. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we... um. First of all, Lord, we're thankful for this teaching and we're thankful for the hope that it brings. But I pray for those who are here this morning, Lord, who maybe are on the edge of giving up on you. I pray for those who, whatever their circumstance is, has driven them to the point where they don't want to have much use for you. Listen, God, we wouldn't ask for impossible things if you hadn't already shown us that you can do it and that you will do it for us. And so we ask for forgiveness when we are selfish. But God, we claim the promises of faith that we have read here this morning, that you will immediately at this very moment heal what needs to be healed so that we would be bring you honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.